Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to what is a milestone episode. After this, will be subscription for four days a week going forward. But luckily, you have one more day right as the clock turns over to September 8th Pacific time. The founding memberships will no longer be available. That is our best deal, even better than just the podcast only tier. And you get dunked on total access with that, which is our salary sheets, written chats, a private discord for subscribers to actually get some high level basketball talk hopefully which i'm told can be difficult to find on the internet daily dunks uh, our links as well so everything you needed one place basically to consume the nba that's what we're giving you with dunked on total access and most importantly you get grandfathered in at that price forever going forward as long as you want it and while I'm sure we'll get some people who come in the next day and are like, hey, can you give me the founding member rate, even though it's switched over? We actually don't technologically have the ability to do that because the only way to do that is to make that public again. And then other people would start signing up. So please, I implore you, if you want the best value and you want to be a part of this community, your best way to do it is with that founding membership. And you can also even get the athletic bundle as well, which is an unprecedented price for both dunked on total access and the athletic Let's get rolling here, though, with Houston Lakers game two. And we had this discussion at the start of game or after game one of how our conception of the series had changed. I will ask you again that same question after this 117-109 Lakers victory. To me, this felt a lot more like what I expected the series to be and still need to give respect to the Rockets for game one. And that, you know, that's kind of more of a best case or very good case scenario for the Rockets. But a couple of pieces of, I want to get into some big picture things too, but a couple of things to remember about this game. Yes, it ended up being an eight point margin. The Rockets went completely crazy in that third quarter. They were hitting every shot. Also, the Lakers defense was pretty good in the rest of the game. Very good in the first half and terrible there, giving up a bunch of shots. Houston, nine of 13 from three on their way to 41 points. And remember that Anthony Davis, who scored 11 of the Lakers first 13 points, missed a section of the game because he got jaw jacked by Harden. Harden was accentuating contact on a foul and hit Davis in the face. He did end up playing 36 minutes. So it's not like Davis was like, you know, out of the game. And so like, I think that it, this could have been worse for the Rockets. But so so to me, that's why this was more in line. It was a, a not a convincing win, but a pretty comfortable one for the Lakers. And I think it could have gone more in their favor than it did. Yeah, it was even with a struggle for Houston from three in the fourth. I think they had a one of 10 stretch there uh, as the Lakers surged back out to the lead. They did shoot 42% on their 53 three-pointers. They actually got the two-point percentage up in the second half it had been in the 30s throughout most of that first half but when they trailed 67 51 at halftime their offense had not been good but i think there's a lot of things that reared their head here that i view as sustaining an advantage of the lakers and I think the place I would start there, and now let's keep in mind, the Lakers also hit 44% from three, yeah. only 12 out of 27. So that's a concern. But they're also spreading the floor a little bit more now with their small group. You know, JaVale McGee only played eight minutes. That's the only time they played with a center on the floor. Um so I have two minds about this, but mostly I'm feeling like the Lakers have shown some advantages that are going to persist. Number one of those was 23 of 28 shooting at the rim. Part of that was with P.J. Tucker in foul trouble. And P.J. Tucker, I mean, pretty amazing. He plays 34 minutes plus 18 and they lose the game by nine so they're negative 27 when he was off the floor the other thing though that i really worry about is i struggle to see how russell westbrook is going to be effective in this series and he absolutely completely killed 
Houston in this game. This might have been the worst playoff game I can remember for. I mean, this is right up there with some of, you know, that Harden like two for 11 in game six in 2017 or Harden's. 12 turnover game in game five against the Warriors in 2015 but this was I thought this game was maybe even more destructive because it wasn't like you know that he was the primary star on the team right like he's this I mean really should be the tertiary star at this point behind Eric Gordon and he's killing them just killing them and in this game it was on both ends of the floor so I, I think one of the telling stats you brought up PJ Tucker's plus minus James Harden played 39 minutes in this game he was plus eight that means in the nine minutes Harden sat they were outscored by 16 points that's Russell Westbrook <laughs> like you know like Russell Westbrook and and remember we, we talked about this during the the this for the NBA cast Eric Gordon was doing a pretty good job in those minutes and the challenge with Russell Westbrook is that he only really goes one speed and does that one thing and if it's not working then it's just running your head up against a brick wall time after time but what was more destructive in this one than in in many other games was the the combination of effects so so he had offensive struggles throughout Russell Westbrook was four of 15 from the field three of seven in the restricted area and then one of eight everywhere else and that was a, a pretty late three and he was taking terrible shots throughout he had a couple of just no chance or turnovers. But what happened was Westbrook picked up his fourth and fifth fouls pretty, you know, kind of late in the third quarter. And then he turned into a complete sieve defensively and everyone on the court knew it. And the Rockets basically did nothing about it. Yeah. Credit LeBron James uh, for really going after that during uh, what had been a a replay review, which uh, uh, turned into another Westbrook turnover, of course. Oh yeah. He also had seven turnovers. So yeah, he, he got blown by, by LeBron a couple of times they were trying to get help they couldn't do it also did not help that pj tucker was off the floor at that same time yes and so they really just didn't have the level of help that they needed you know jeff green really struggled he was negative 26 in this game he couldn't get anything done defensively he took a, a couple of unfortunate shots uh to his body not like shots from the field uh so that that was a struggle and then the other thing though that i'll point to outside of westbrook was james harden you know look you look at his line 27 points plus eight seven assists five turnovers they're spending a lot of time double teaming him as well and you know four of eight from three had the step back going but only two made two point shots they fouled him for six of his 13 free throws were just the dumb reach in across the arms the harden as we know it where he extends his arm out gathers the ball way away from the rim and draws a shooting foul 18 feet from the basket and the lakers are going to clean that up they better um you know it was some of their dumber players who did that i think it was kuzma and or or less experienced players javel although who is experienced but you know is going to make that mistake caruso i think got him one time so i don't think those free throw attempts are necessarily going to continue and he was completely gassed again by the end of the fourth quarter like Rondo who we'll talk about more was pressuring me up he picked six him in the backcourt and Harden just couldn't do anything other than dribble there for a while and try to get to a step back in the last probably seven minutes or so of the game and so I think with Russ having such a struggle Harden gonna be exhausted by the end of the game I mean this is a pattern we've seen this for I mean over the whole course of his career the 24 percent from three in the fourth quarter in the playoffs in overtime over the last few years like Kevin O'Connor cited and uh particularly in these playoffs uh, as well offensively just not being able to get it done at all at the end of games so if it's close you think the Lakers are probably going to run away with it and uh for Houston to shoot 42 percent on 53 threes and still not even be in contention at the end of the game that's concerning to me right and also when you remember that especially in the first two quarters things shifted in the third a lot of the good looks that houston got from three were were from kind of i would use the term unforced errors like you you brought up the ones on harden but there were also like Dion waiters before he got injured with his pulled groin just straight up leaving his guy for no good reason and there was some helping without helping and javel mcgee not understanding what was going on and leaving eric gordon i think that was for for a couple of threes like there were there were numerous situations like that and so what was concerning there yeah the Rockets did generate good looks when their offense was humming and all that but oh those sorts of things will happen inevitably a couple of them over the course of the game but when that's your best offense and that's like the thing that you're doing most reliably it can be a real concern and then the other kind of area of that and you don't think this is all necessarily going to continue but the Lakers role, role players who were such a source of failure in game one they were a lot better at certain points like Markeith Morris hitting four three pointers in the first quarter but overall they played a lot better 
Yeah, they did. And if you want to construct the Houston side of the narrative, you can say, hey, you know what? We still got 16 corner threes in this game, which is a ton of corner threes. The Lakers are a really bad shooting team. They're not going to shoot this well from three. We can do that, particularly if we're getting corner threes at this type of rate. They made eight out of their 16 corner threes. You know, they didn't force us into any mid-rangers. We shot fine above the break, too. And Morris, Kuzma, and Rondo, Rondo being plus 28 after he was terrible in the first game, actually providing the level of defensive effort that he did I, I haven't seen him defend that hard even though there's only a few possessions on Harden I thought Harden would just cook him but he actually was like getting into a stance like getting up into him he pressured in the background like, I, I haven't seen Rondo defend like that for a single minute basically since he tore his ACL back in 2013 so while this is playoff Rondo and you know he's gonna go hard I mean pro- probably his best stretch maybe since his 20 those first two games of the 2017 playoffs with the bulls where they went up 2-0 and then uh he missed the rest of that series he had some okay games in the playoffs for the pels the next year but was terrible defensively so are you gonna go on the fact that it's playoff rondo again and he's back he also had five steals he was really good uh in the passing lanes or are you gonna say no we're gonna take advantage of him the way it basically has been you know for most of his career since 2013 kuzma going six to seven you know he's really struggled he you can continue to go at Kuzma whenever he's in Markeith hitting four threes in the first quarter like that's something that's not going to happen again and looks like you could even argue that Rondo and Morris now being their most effective bench guys might even be a good thing for Houston because those guys are going to regress I mean I think that if you're trying to construct the narrative for Houston that's how you do it I think right and I think one of the counters going the other way is that LeBron James and Anthony Davis were a lot more activated in this game I thought that LeBron looked far more assertive defensively and also had some real bright moments offensively he was one assist away from a good game 28 points 11 rebounds nine assists four steals two blocks seven turnovers notable plus 15 in 39 minutes Oh, the other thing you can say if you're Houston is we gave up 11 steals. We had a ton of bad turnovers. They completely killed us on the fast break and that's not going to happen again maybe that's the other thing you can point to sure yeah and I, I mean there are absolutely reasons to believe this could be a long series i even think there's a chance that houston could win it but it felt to me even kind of to an extent as it was occurring that game one it, while it, i was wrong on kind of how i thought he, my theory of the case was that houston didn't have as many avenues as they do it's still you know you could see the advantages for the lakers and for anthony davis early on it was the jump shot he had a couple of those going and he he ended up becoming a little too thirsty with the jumper but he he was exceedingly efficient inside the paint. Six of seven in the restricted area, three of four from Florida range. So that is a combined nine of nine for 11. And he got to the line six times, only made three of those six, which was a little bit weird. He's done there, been a few times in the past. And also there were times where I didn't think Davis was the most impactful defensively, but there were times where he, he was a real deterrent. He was getting out there well. And I thought the Lakers, especially in that first half, they defended so well. Yeah, absolutely. LeBron really intimidated a bunch of shots. He had another absolutely merciless block lock on Russell Westbrook and then two crazy dunks like one head at the rim 35 year old LeBron James head at the rim hand above the square for an alley-oop from Caruso and then the double pump dunk that he had on the drive past Westbrook was a ridiculous one as well so yeah he really asserted himself in the paint um and on two pointers LeBron was nine out of 13 uh which is a fantastic uh, obviously and uh, Davis he was really reliant on that contested long two he hit that pretty well i thought he got a little better looks against pj tucker one interesting development which i don't recall as much from the rockets in game one was that pj tucker was not switching off of anthony davis like they kept pj tucker on him i think what you probably want to start doing if you can is try to get harden's man involved with ad if you're the lakers and now see oh yeah is james harden gonna get through the screen really and if you don't switch now you're just gonna whoever the ball handler is is gonna get a layup so i would say try to get lebron get harden switched on to lebron and then run the pick and roll uh, with tucker so that might be a little adjustment that the lakers can make not that they had trouble scoring in this game well and that's where i wanted to go with this i mean so in game one the lakers had an 82 offensive rating in the half court that jumped to 110.3 in this one and actually the lakers missed some they 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 actually were less efficient in transition but i think this is another one of those crazy stats the lakers ran had a transition play this is cleaning the glass on 43.8 percent of their live rebounds that's not steel 
steals. That's not you know anything else. That's that's an incredible number. They also ran off makes a couple times. So it was that beautiful pass from Markeith Morris that was really surprising, and they got they got an easy uh, dunk, I believe it was a dunk off of that. And so the Lakers were kind of seeing they're they're pushing some of those advantages a little bit more. And it, worth noting though, a lot of the the Rocket support players had very good games. I thought that Eric Gordon you know found his stride from three six to twelve. Robert Covington had some really good offensive moments. Also had a beautiful just great block at one point as well. We talked about PJ Tucker's night as well. So like that's the other part of it is like yes you can make an argument that the Rockets role like the Rockets support players if we're using that term so like non stars are better are really good players and they played very well. It's not like it's one side was great the other side was terrible and so if you equalize it it gets there. It's like no both both sides played pretty well and so that makes it harder for the Rockets to boost their levels. Yeah. Now I mean again the Rockets you can say hey when we had Harden on the floor if we're winning those minutes these games are going to be competitive and you know Tucker was plus 18 and Covington uh, was plus five I thought one thing that really killed them was when they were down by close to 20 points in the first and Tucker got his third foul that they took him out I mean I think when you're down like that you got to just leave the guy in you know or even even Danny how about you just bring him back in with like three minutes left in the half or something right right I mean I guess I think there's this feeling of like okay this guy's got four going into halftime and you know he has four but Tucker finished with four fouls he didn't get his fourth until pretty late in the fourth quarter so um what else uh, stuck out to you uh, about this one here Jeff Green took a hit at the end of uh, that was at halftime and uh, right right before halftime and he didn't look quite right physically after that and that's a big problem for the Rockets because they just don't really have another guy like that he's their best screen setter and you know not the best defensive player but a capable part of the rotation that might have been part of the reason why we saw Ben McElroy briefly but also that was Austin Rivers couldn't hit it couldn't hit anything he was in only for seven minutes but missed a couple of clean looks and that was also part one of the times when the Rockets got absolutely waxed in non-hardened minutes so Rivers didn't get much time I thought Daniel House looked pretty good you know had a couple of impressive finishes yeah. you know that might have been dunks in another in another time but acrobatic very but very under control like the one on LeBron in particular was a real standout and then yeah uh, although on House I don't think he can guard LeBron no no he can't and and that's a big problem for them is like I mean that was my whole thing with the series is like there aren't that many Rockets that can guard LeBron and AD and I don't think that number has gone up it's just that PJ Tucker's been amazing and yeah. Eric Gordon's done a good job on LeBron I think that's but, true yeah yeah but but I think the Lakers did a better job getting other players onto him which and it's, you know, especially those Westbrook things and then another positive for the Lakers even though yes Rondo was was good in his 29 minutes Caruso playing 26 like I think Caruso should play over Rondo when there's a choice between the two but I thought he yeah did better. they had a lot of minute a lot of time with both those guys together out there true and and Caruso and should, LeBron even they had all three of those guys out there at times and, and Caruso he, he functions so much better as a primarily off-ball player because he, he's just not that dynamic with the ball in his hands and so playing him with Rondo playing him with LeBron sometimes with both those guys if you can make it work defensively that can be there I like you see the challenges of like oh this is sort of the series version of when a, a shaky player gets hot early and then eventually like they just take too many shots like I could see Vogel doing that with Rondo especially because the you know if the coaching staff is comfortable with him thinks oh you know his injuries and everything else that was why he was shaky in game one um and it could be the same with Markeith Morris you know if those guys play a little bit more it could be a real challenge but I thought Danny Green and KCP were overall I think they were better than game one not dramatically better but if AD you know they hit shots though like yeah. Green was three or five Caldwell Pope was one or two and that just opened up I mean there were times when particularly again when Tucker was off the floor when it just looked like there was so much space in there for the Lakers which obviously had been lacking in game one right I think that's a really good point so I I think this series is still in the Lakers favor I think it'll be longer than I predicted and Houston has ways to win games They're, they have confidence in that plenty of reasons for that but yeah I think this was a reminder of oh yeah the Lakers are the better team in this year yeah, and Rondo, part of, we've been so critical of him, and part of why I always have been was he used to be this great defender, and he just has decided not to. And, you know, I think if I were Houston, I would try to get him closer to the basket, particularly if he's on Harden. I thought they get pretty good stuff out of those Harden post-ups which oddly, it seems like they only go to it when there's a big, strong guy in Harden. Like, why don't they go to that when there's a, a smaller guy like Rondo? Because Rondo, uh, you know, he was getting into Harden out on the floor, but let's see whether he actually wants to be like physical in the post or not if they go back to that matchup. Um, but that's why I was always so disappointed in him because you thought maybe he still had this in and that's why his willful lack of defense uh, was so annoying 
uh and so i mean that was much more than his offense it was it's been his defense that has had us so low on him at least me and if that actually if he's going to change that and he's actually going to try defensively and like you can actually get away with him for minutes on hard and he'll do a good job then that completely changes my conception of him and you know that is theoretically within his control absolutely yeah so i it's starting to feel a little bit like because remember it was the westbrook gordon minutes a lot of it at the expense of kyle kuzma in game one that won houston that game and it was obviously the westbrook and to a lesser extent gordon minutes that lost them this game so this may start coming down to now i mean it looks like javel mcgee has this ankle injury he couldn't continue he was limping uh, and it doesn't seem like they want to play dwight howard again so i mean maybe your eight-man rotation now for the lakers is the four four of the five starters and then you know uh either morris kuzma rondo or, or caruso and we'll see i mean i could see them starting marquee morris in the next game given the way he shot it but i didn't think he added a ton else in this game besides just making open three-pointers in the first quarter so that that could be a concern but uh and more certainly someone that i think if he gets pushed into the starting lineup and he's matched up with Harden, that's someone that they're going to try and go after a little bit as well so and then for houston you know jeff green really struggled macklemore and rivers they've kind of you know struggled to get good minutes from them in the playoffs house is, is going to come in and he'll be fine but the battle of those benches i think is something that could come very close to deciding this series in the end but it does start to feel a little bit more like i mean i guess this is what i would say danny and you've kind of felt this too the zeitgeist seemed like all right lakers restored over order houston looked like shit they made a bunch of threes but the more i think about it there That's are some unsustainable things yeah i think i think houston houston for, played, for the lakers I yeah i think houston played better than that i think that's doing them short shrift but i think part of that is there was an over over adjustment after game one i think i yeah. so so it's you kind of you, if you go too far one way then you kind of end up going too far the other way just because then you that tries to get things to the actual natural equilibrium well and the lakers are to me are going to be hurt more in some ways by houston than not by not making threes because houston is always going to have the floor spaced those guys are always going to get guarded except westbrook who killed them by not getting guarded by the way uh so many times the ball got got sent to him and they just weren't guarding him and he couldn't make him pay but other than him all those guys are always going to get guarded the floor is always going to be spaced whereas the lakers they'll kind of stop shooting it or they'll put in other guys or even worse shooters any way and it gets a lot harder for ad and lebron to go to work and so i think the lakers shooting as far as how that affects the rest of their offense it's more critical to them and houston obviously is the higher volume better shooting team in this series i would agree man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us.
Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant featured in Giant Magazine, Issue 2. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finisher code CAPSPACE at checkout. Please remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time. I'm here on the program that's 20% off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us okay let's talk about today's other game milwaukee surviving against miami somehow in overtime and it really was a tale of two games for these milwaukee non-Giannis players Giannis went crazy and he had 19 points in 11 minutes at the start of this game despite being questionable with a right ankle sprain while the rest of the bucks for those first 11 minutes that he played were absolute keystone cops kicking the ball over the gym failing to make rotations taking bad shots off the dribble early in the clock or threes with their feet not set before they ever tried an attack uh and Giannis I thought was playing extremely well both from a scoring standpoint where he was eight to ten from the field but also I thought he started doing more of the passing that I wanted to see for him perhaps because he kind of had to slow down a little bit with the ankle he there was one play where Iguodala tried to take advantage of the exact tendency that we've noted before where he tries to go into a spin move in the lane and won't pass it back out to the top Iguodala doubled off a Middleton at the top and Giannis actually saw him and passed it out to Middleton for a what became a missed open three he had that beautiful one hand touch pass out for a three from the lane that also resulted in a missed three so he's playing great everyone else is playing terrible and then he came down on the foot of Andre Iguodala re-sprained that right ankle we were worried that it was going to be something very severe with him and he did shoot his two free throws both of which he missed but then had to go out of the game that i mean how ironic would it have been danny if they end up losing this game by one point and he took those two free throws missed both of them and then i mean i guess they could have selected someone yeah. off the bucks bench but that person probably would have made at least one of them you would hope but 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 anyway uh that that's far field but then the rest of the bucks guys got their shit together afterward they really did and what i think is the most incredible stat of the the rest of this game is that milwaukee really did a balanced approach but chris middleton he put together a really impressive performance despite only taking one shot in the restricted area i mean his overall line for the game 36 points 12 of 28 from the field three of seven from three also got to the line nine times that ended up being very important and it was it was Chris Middleton show it was the jump shots especially in overtime that really put them over the top yeah and he had struggled he was 0 for 6 in the fourth and you know it had been good before that but then in overtime he hit the icing three had a couple other tough jump shots where they were able to get him a little bit better of a matchup uh so it was in some ways two this felt like a game where for the first time the bucks actually played playoff basketball like middleton played 48 minutes in this one when i think his series high had probably been like 36 before this and they did stuff like oh we're gonna give the ball to him every time and run high pick and roll and try to get the matchup that he can attack and at least there was some organization and structure as opposed to at the end of game three you know i mean they weren't like killing it with chris middleton but they at least had some organization they weren't like just turning the ball over immediately 
badly or taking terrible shots uh, and then they were able to have their defense be pretty good at the other and they started to wane a little bit and as it turned out Miami ended up with a 112 offensive rating in this one but I thought they still were forcing more difficult shots in the first half for example Miami only got two shots at the rim they got way fewer free throws than they normally do and they forced a ton of three-pointers from Miami, which they hit at a pretty decent rate, to be sure, with Crowder and Duncan Robinson both going six out of 12. Uh, so it seems like every, even without Giannis, they were still getting closer to what makes them the Bucks defensively. They made Butler work pretty hard. He only had 17 points on six of 15. And it just looked a lot better for them. And you wonder what could have happened if game two had ended differently or they hadn't collapsed at the end of game three. And this could be a 2-2 series, but... Of course, Giannis is out, and it's still 3-1, so Miami remains massive favorites here. Um, What else stood out to you about this? We can talk about the end of the game some, but anything from the meat of the game that you wanted to hit on? Yeah, it it was interesting from my perspective. So I watched watched the first half live, and then I watched the second half later. And so I knew the results of the game as I was watching the second half. And one of the things that I noticed, because I was kind of looking for, okay, what happened? And and you're right, Milwaukee, they defended better, they were aggressive, they weren't giving up free throws. But also, there was a mix of forced turnovers and unforced errors from Miami. I thought Miami got really sloppy, particularly towards the end of the third quarter. They just were making some uncharacteristic, you know, like the, the type of pass passes to nowhere, a little bit too, a little bit too fluttery. And they came back from that. It wasn't like that. They, that was what cost them the game necessarily. But those sorts of things had been so rare in the other series. That's why it stuck out in, in the other parts of the series. That's why it stuck out so much in game two at the very end when they Miami kept on like, you know, kept on falling a stepping on a rake with the Jimmy Butler stuff and everything else and so I, I noticed that I thought that uh, yet again I've, I've been harping on this in this series but the Kendrick Nunn minutes I, I still I'm still skeptical there and it was good to see Kelly Olynyk on on the floor again I thought that that made a difference they didn't have to go to Myers Leonard Derek Jones Jr. really didn't play either he had a very brief very brief little cameo um so Miami went back to their better guys but it it never really flowed right to me yeah, and particularly in the second, once Giannis went out, I think that they could have played better during that period. And the Bucks put up a pretty good offensive game despite only shooting 31% from the field. They got to the rim a, a ton and they, they made, this is just buckets, not even free throws. They made 26 buckets in the paint. And then Middleton, a lot of these mid-rangers, 8 out of 15, those were, were his doing. He's one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. And obviously the Bucks' three-point shooting is still, uh, still a little dicey. So it did seem like the Bucks actually, to me, played better. Goran Dragic fell back to earth. He was only 1 of 9 from 3. Any other like big things that, that came out of this game? Eric Bledsoe's jump shot is still broke. I think that's a very real problem for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, he had some better finishes around the basket, had some assists, had some better defensive plays, but every jump shot he took, I'm just like, oh, this is going to go terribly. And he missed all six of his threes and only took one mid-ranger, which Bledsoe did make. But I think I think that's a potentially big problem for the for the Bucks if we're looking at game five potentially being a non-Giannis affair. Wes Matthews continues to just have terrible plus-minus while I think doing a pretty good job on Jimmy Butler uh, when he did a, a really good job denying him on the last possession of regulation after the DiVincenzo free throw tied it and they couldn't get it into him. They, they ended up with a desperation heave. So I think he still is causing Butler the most problems one-on-one. He's doing a good job getting through screens. Jimmy can't really overpower him physically. So I, I think he's been solid on him. Some of the other guys start to run into some trouble there. But the hero DiVincenzo matchup is just a hilarious one of two just young guys, very confident, very aggressive. There was one play where Hero beat Di- DiVincenzo on a one-on-one move or sorry DiVincenzo beat Hero on a one-on-one move you knew Hero was just going to come right back at him that was in the second quarter so I'm enjoying seeing like those young hard-nosed guys compete with each other those sneaky athletic guys uh oh lord the end of the game was was remarkable in a number of ways Dragic misses a floater with the heat down to 106-104 Bam gets the offensive rebound he was awesome in this game it's funny we haven't talked about him that much in this series but he led the heat with 26 points he's hitting just enough shots from the elbow he's obviously running their elbow game he had eight assists in this one but he gets the offensive rebound kicks it up they throw it into the post to him and then without a play being called I mean, it was very warriors like Dragic just goes and screens hero to the ball that's just a very difficult set to deal with when the ball's in the post because they have such a good passing angle 
back out. Hero hits the go-ahead three-pointer as the Bucks again, don't switch a guard-guard action, which they'd started doing, but those two guys didn't communicate to give up the open three. And Middleton misses a layup. Butler misses a try-to-draw-the-foul piece of crap from the free-throw line. And Bucks call timeout with 22 seconds left. They could have pushed it up, which was really a surprise to me. Now, maybe Middleton was just tired. He was, uh, and needed a little bit of a break to kind of gather himself. But so they call timeout. They almost turn the ball over on the inbound. Butler almost gets a steal, but he ends up in the backcourt. DiVincenzo has a five on four. And he just like basically hands it off to Chris Middleton, like a bun in the oven and says, here you go, man. Uh, let's just run the play. And they end up having to call timeout when Middleton just gets double teamed on the wing. They try Middleton again next time he's about to shoot the jumper over crowder butler comes off the strong side corner divincenzo gets it has to drive it on butler and then Dragic picked up a, a blocking foul you would question danny i would assume why Dragic was out there well, in yes, a defense only possession i would i, I think i think that I, why I, wouldn't that be andre guadala i have no idea or Derek jones jr no who, it, granted iguodala was on the floor i believe okay um but here i mean i would go with hero over Dragic too yeah i'm trying to think of who they who they took out there let me look at that i didn't remember seeing iguodala out there but i if i had that wrong i apologize so i think so iguodala was not in before the timeout Iguodala came in at the timeout okay yeah so yeah so it was Iguodala Bam Butler Crowder and then the question would have been who is the last guy and Derek Jones had played zero minutes yeah I mean to I'd me I'd probably rather have I'd, I'd rather have a a, a, a frosty Derek Jones Jr. than Dragic out yeah. there well and I think too you like you don't see teams do this very much but you especially with the amount of space that they have there like tell these guys hey you might come in as a defensive replacement like start getting warmed up like do a bunch of defensive slides like be ready to come out there um but anyway Dragic tried to take the charge couldn't do it what did you think of the call? Oh, it was a good call. It was clearly a, a blocking foul. You know, he wasn't even. He close wasn't. To he wasn't of. set. Like I thought, it was actually somewhat close, but not close enough to call it the other way. Yeah, I mean, if you were gonna, if it would be anything, it'd be a no call because I, whether he was set or not, he certainly wasn't in his path. So, and I, and he tried to fall down and take the charge, and the whistle blew. You know, I think he actually was in pretty good position with Divincenzo behind the backboard to just play better defense. I also thought like maybe someone other than uh, on the last play of the game with one second left maybe someone other than Dragic could be the guy to come over there and this I don't know I can't remember where Adebayo was on this play he was probably guarding Brooke Lopez in out in left field but he really has not been effective at all as a help defender and I thought one thing they could consider doing particularly if Giannis is able to play again is put Bam on Giannis and put Andre Iguodala on Brooke Lopez and if they start posting up Brooke Lopez then you could double team him he's it's a lot easier to double team him than Giannis because Brooke Lopez can't pass at all so and it's kind of also just taking the bucks out of what they want to do so I I'm uh, uh but we'll see I mean Giannis what do you think his chances are actually playing in game five I don't think it should be this high but 30 percent with this being a second injury of this and someone a, a commenter brought up the Kawhi Leonard situation from 2017 remember he hurts it in game five they somehow pull out that game against the Rockets they win game six and then game one he comes back but then re-injures it a couple of times the last of which was on the Petrulia thing and they never brought him back after that and it seemed like Giannis you know he was in a ton of pain at the time he came down on it in a funny way it was a different kind of sprain you know both eversion but the, it seemed like it was kind of a little bit more backwards rather than I'm sorry not eversion inversion uh backwards as well rather than inverted and he was in a walking boot after the game that doesn't necessarily mean anything if anybody in that situation you put him in a walking boot because even just walking around on it normally is going could like cause more swelling so if you want a guy to make a quick recovery you always put him in a walking boot that's not necessarily the death knell but particularly considering he's already hurt this twice if this is the first time he'd heard it, then maybe I'd feel a little bit differently. But I, I would be extremely cautious with him, particularly, of course, given the ramifications for the future. And while Giannis might really want to play, there are other people in his life, I'm sure, who are looking out for his best long-term interest who would not be happy if they put him out there when he's clearly compromised. So he's going to try to play. My guess would be, though, given the fact that he was immediately ruled out of this one and that he couldn't really move or push off of it afterwards, that 
it's unlikely he's going to be able to go and particularly because he has this very violent game where he gets a lot of ankle sprains all the time he's got to do all these euro steps and stuff like that now maybe you could say we weren't run as much through him we'll kind of you know have him be more of a defender that kind of stuff but i i would be surprised i i would put it lower than 30 percent personally here's the other point of it you brought up the idea that his game is very violent but also just he's going to be going through a lot of bodies like you can't you can't eliminate the risk of an ankle sprain like it's not something that that can be done given the the structure of everything that's going on yeah and that's i mean that's the sort of thing that can be career altering at times um so miami certainly I, I mean it was funny thinking back on this that if you had told me when the regular season ended that milwaukee without Giannis had to play against the heat i probably would have had that as like a 50 50 series now obviously we've learned a lot more about the heat and the bucks since then but i definitely think milwaukee could potentially win games if Giannis comes back i mean that's i just don't know how even to calibrate that but the issue is of course they, they still have to win three in a row they've they've taken it their task from impossible never been done before to would still be one of the greatest comebacks in nba history even if they (laughs) even if they hadn't just won one game so obviously the heat remain massive favorites but they I think didn't play as well. They lost the threat a little bit. That's what their interview said after the game. And we'll see whether, in fact, they can recover or not. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Anything else on this, or should we move to Clippers Denver? Let's move to Clippers Denver. I, I So, yes, um, the Denver Nuggets won this game 110-101, and they deserve all the credit for that. I mean, Nikola Jokic had it, had some ridiculous moments, especially in the first quarter. The the Nuggets, you know, things were never going to be as bleak as they looked in game one when the Clippers just ran away from it. But uh, I don't know. I, I kind of thought that, that they might have some more moments like that. But, <laughs> but and, and they still might. But I, I thought that... So the way that I saw this game, and I'm interested to see, we haven't really talked about it that much, if you if you felt differently, was they had this basically perfect storm first quarter. I mean, Jokic was incredible. Jamal Murray hit a bunch of shots. The Nuggets scored 44 points in that first quarter, did it against, you know, the Clippers starters, did it against the backups. Kawhi played the whole quarter, but I think like that. And it was like, great, you know, they did really well. And then for me, after that, it kind of went more in the realm of what I expected moving forward. So it was like, they they won this game, and they they. Deservingly did it, and they had that dominant first quarter. They built, they staked a 19 point lead that they never relinquished. But I don't know that it made me think about the series fundamentally differently. Well, what about the fact? And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not all of a sudden picking this to be a long series necessarily. But what about the fact that they continued to defend? And, you know, the Clippers had 25 points in the first quarter and then averaged basically 25 points the, the rest of the way. This is a struggle of a, an offensive performance for LA. Denver's defense looks much better, which we can talk about in further detail in a moment. But did that convince you at all? I mean, 
mean, we thought, ah, you know, it's an aberration against the Jazz and they started playing better defensively. But no, actually, that was a real change. A little bit. I, I mean, I thought that they did, you know, that we, we thought that they had nothing for Kawhi. And I don't think Kawhi Leonard is going to go four of 17 from the field. And yeah, he had five shots just in the first half go in and out on the exact same shots that he's been making. A- exactly. And, and Leonard, to expand beyond that, three of 13 in the paint. And yeah, I thought the Nuggets did a better job contesting. He didn't have as much space. It wasn't as easy for him. But yeah, I think he was like something ridiculous, like 17 of 19 in the paint, non-restricted area or something coming in, in, in like his, it's over some time period. It was just completely insane. Yeah. But by, by the way, the league shoots 40% from that range on average. Right. So I think, you know, it, that's, yeah, I think, it, I think it can continue to an extent. And, and, but unfortunately, the other thing that we're going to have to keep an eye on here is that Nikola Jokic suffered a sprained right wrist during the game and is questionable for game three and if he can't play or honestly to me if he's limited in any significant way it seems i I, it's yes denver's defense has been better and you can make an argument that it would be better if Jokic wasn't on the floor but their offense is just going to be so different yeah and i mean Jokic was wonderful in this one yes uh four of five from three hit his first four three-pointers the only one he missed was like an impossible step back at the end of the shot clock 26 points four assists three blocked shots Danny and also had just a, a absolute clinic that young big men should have just been charged to watch on Avicii Zubac in the post at the end of the second quarter so he was much better and defensively he was a ton better as well I pulled this stat and posted on Twitter but I haven't talked about it on the pod yet through eight games Nikola Jokic had contested per the second spectrum stuff at NBA.com so this is within five feet of any shooter who is within five feet of the basket what percent do they shoot through eight games he had detested contested the most total shots at the rim in the playoffs which was 58 7.3 per game which was sixth on a per game basis he had allowed 69 percent shooting on those shots which is the worst of any player contesting 25 or more shots that was before game two and then in game two the clippers shot four of 11 against him and he also really was just and he even drew three fouls defending around the rim in the third quarter which generally is not good but at least he's that shows that he's trying right like his defensive effort was just palpably so much better in this game and really the whole nuggets team was like gary harris was great uh and he hit shots in this one as well like that that's something that might be a little bit of a game changer like a lot i'm sorry who grant jeremy grant oh yeah i mean he was one of nine but he had three block shots as well seven blocks total for the nuggets they really forced the clippers into a lot of misses around the rim um you know even jamal murray like sprinted back and got a a hand on a guy from behind in a fast break the effort level was higher in his first quarter interview mike malone said that i guess beginning the second quarter interview that they were doing a much better job of being in the gaps and competing and that's the same thing that they had done against utah as well and perhaps you can make the argument too danny that this denver team was completely emotionally and physically exhausted after what was essentially three game sevens in a row for them in that jazz series and then that getting blown out we said this actually that might be the case that getting blown out was almost the best thing that could happen to them in game one because they could actually recover a little bit and also just kind of get a feel of like okay this is the next level up but we got to adjust to this um but yeah if Nikola Jokic like can't actually shoot a shot with that sprained wrist they're in trouble how do you think Patrick Beverly looked physically not not necessarily like I think he was a little bit better but still still needs a little needs more time yeah he had one nice layup uh, on a drive along the baseline but was not particularly aggressive offensively in his 15 minutes he also had five fouls and got thrown out of the game late (laughs) yeah he was so Um, pissed so and the Clippers I mean you mentioned Kawhi's crazy shooting struggles the Clippers overall were 9 of 32 from three and Denver was on fire most of the game and they finished 15 out of 40 that's a lot of threes for them to take and you know Gary Harris with his shooting struggles going four of seven that's a concern although Murray uh started six out of seven for 14 points he waned a little bit in the second but I thought that he looked much better physically and maybe again exhaustion or that thigh contusion that he got from Joe Ingles in game seven or something I mean he just was able to create more separation including like a six step back 
on Kawhi. It taught, put him up ten with uh, under three minutes to go and, and ice the game. Got got a lot of uh, a lot of juice there. So you could say maybe he's going to play better. They definitely have no answer for Jokic if he's healthy right. whatsoever. Like he's cooked Zubats in the post. Harrell has no chance. It's basically, whenever they post him up, it's an instant double team. So you you start to see how Denver can be competitive. I mean, they're they're still not going to have answers for Kawhi, and you know I think the Clippers are still going to win this series relatively easily in five or six. So glad I didn't pick the sweep, by the way. And but I do I don't necessarily think Denver is just going to get completely destroyed in every game. Number one, that's not how basically any series works. But number two, they do have things that they can go to. Again, assuming that this will we'll proceed under the idea that Jokic is going to be too hampered by this wrist issue. One other thing to mention about the Clippers, they missed nine free throws in this game. They were 20-29. It wasn't a single culprit. Oh, I guess Harold missed yeah. four. Um, and, and their defense in you know the late first quarter, early second quarter was absolutely pathetic in terms of their communication and giving up threes and stuff. I mean, they they, they played like crap. That's yes. it's, uh, both the stuff you can control and some of the stuff that you can't control as far as missing and, and full credit to the nuggets like they they won this game but if you try, if you're kind of trying to set the balance trying to figure out where the series goes i think the clippers can and will play significantly better especially yeah that late first quarter was a disaster yeah and uh, i want to see what's going to happen now with beverly back they really seem to have settled before he came back. They really seem to have settled on what they wanted to do at the guard position, starting Shamit. He definitely gives them more offensively than Beverly does with that starting group. You know, that group looked really, really good against the Mavs. Now, with him being back, how much Reggie Jackson are you going to play? Shamit, it's really hard to fit Shamit in when he's not with the starters because with him and Lou Williams and potentially Reggie Jackson, you know, two of those three guys, it's really hard to exist defensively. Fortunately, the Nuggets second unit doesn't have like a ton of guys who are going to kill them but the nugget second unit did really hurt them in this game i thought they made they got back in it in the second half when the bench was on the floor but that group really pushed that lead out at the end of the first quarter for Denver and Monte Morris outplayed any of the small guards for the Clippers I thought so uh, do you have any thoughts on like how that rotation should settle out assuming that Beverly is starting I mean what they could do is give Beverly a kind of like give him a somewhat quick hook and let let Shamit play at least with Kawhi you know I, th- I think that could be that could be yeah. you know potentially in, in some of those lineups but yeah it, it is a very real challenge I mean and you run into the sometimes of players who are better fits with certain other players and you just can't really square it up but yeah Beverly is a is a superior talent to Shamit when he's healthy. So like it is a real job. Well, and yeah, I like your idea of getting Beverly out early and we'll see how many minutes he can even play between fouls and coming back from the injury. It may not be that much, but yeah, I think maybe bringing him back in and playing him with Lou Williams on the second unit and maybe just no Reggie Jackson at all. Yeah, I would say that for sure. And, and you know, granted he has shot the ball really well, which has made up for some of his other shortcomings, but he and Lou Williams are always seem to be involved in like a few miscommunications where like, someone new will come into the game and they don't know who they're guarding like that kind of crap so but i think beverly with lou williams is a a little bit better of a fit than reggie jackson with lou williams that can get beverly some more minutes and let shamit play with this more of the starting group because that's really when he's most useful and also it's just hard to get away with playing him defensively when you've got all these other guards so yeah i think that's a a good way of looking at it oh we can kind of jump to a, a, a we can go back to the game if you want but a small piece of news from this one that one of the players involved in this game, Montrezl Harrell, was selected as the sixth man of the year. He beat Dennis Schroeder you know, pretty comfortably. Harrell had 58 first place votes. Schroeder had 35. And then Lou Williams finished third. Christian Wood and George Hill, former teammates in Milwaukee, finished fourth. And my pick for number one, Derek Rose, finished seventh. I, he only got five third place votes. Yeah, that seems pretty low. I had Harrell as my number one. Who was What was the rest of your ballot there? I think I had Rose one, Harrell two, Will, Lou Will three. Might have had George Hill three. Yeah, George Hill did uh, to me got some short shrift there yeah considering he didn't miss a three in the regular season yeah i had harold one george hill two maxi kleba three but obviously oh, difficult my memory yeah, my memory wasn't perfect derrick rose one montrez harold two christian wood three but i had george I, hill four. I yeah love, i do have a I few other notes on this game though uh again i was reminded of how brilliant rudy gobert was in the last series on Jokic. they 
run a lot of screens for Jokic. If you're a center guarding Jokic, you're going to have to get through a screen. They'll set small guards for him either to kind of wheel towards the free throw line and curl into the lane if you're trailing, or he can shoot the jump shot from there, or just even plays where they're just trying to get him a post up on the strong side. I think some of the stuff that they run is something that some other teams should really look at. I mean, it's kind of more old school stuff to get a guy decent post position, but you know, centers just can't really get through that very well. And so he gets very good position on, on a lot of these post ups. And if I, given the Nuggets overall lack of shooting and spacing, I think if I were the Clippers, I might try to just to have whoever is guarding the screener, like Chuck Jokic a little bit more, or maybe even really stay with him until Zubats is back in position to try and force his catches further out on the floor. Uh, and Harrell has absolutely no chance against Jokic. The Clippers, when they went to their closing group, it was actually Jamichael Green at center with Morris, George, Leonard, and then a guard, usually Lou Williams. And they went to switching everything there. That that lineup, I mean, it's going to be impossible to guard, obviously, for the Nuggets with Jokic out there. But it, you wonder how well that's going to defend. But, I mean, if they're double teaming anyway, you might as well, uh, this is a, a thing we said a lot of times, like you might as well just go smaller and quicker and see how that goes. Would they go Marcus Morris at center and go even smaller and put try like Kawhi on Jokic? There's a couple of possessions where Kawhi was on Jokic. I think just in situations where they expected a pick and roll switch to occur. Uh, I wondered with the additional effort of whether Jokic watched Draymond Green's segment (laughs) about how bad he was defensively and the guy does have like a 7-3 wingspan and 9-3 standing rich and like a big body too, you know, like that fat guy defense I always talk like about. Like the Marcus Gasol yeah. building blocks. Yeah, if and you know, he doesn't have that level of intelligence. He's not as big as Gasol either. Gasol is just absolutely massive. And I don't think he has the intensity or, or the quickness of Gasol. But just the idea of, hey, you're a big fat guy here, relatively, even still, even with it being skinny Jokic now. If you just make contact with your chest on a guy and show your hands, a lot of times you're not going to get called for the foul and it's it's pretty still tough to finish on you and so this is this again you know as i was killing Jokic for his terrible defense like he could actually be better than this like he's never going to be perfect and draymond was saying that it's not about athleticism it was about effort and recognition and he's a smart player so it's not really recognition you know maybe he just doesn't want to pick up fouls or he's too tired or who knows but uh but he was much better in this well, one and so was michael porter jr i thought that he's his yeah defense, his defense has really grown as well yeah he uh now that they've stopped switching him on to pick and rolls and he'll just plays a more conventional pick and roll defense with the, whoever the small is he's guarding uh he's actually able to make some plays as a help defender i thought his effort level his the work he did on the offensive glass was really good and so he is he definitely has grown the only problem is he can't hit a three right now yeah I it's, think, it's like, crazy like michael porter's jump shot has just completely abandoned him in this game he was one of five from three made one mid-ranger but then had some success around the basket as he as he has even during the slump yeah and he just kind of looks off balance on his three-pointer like he's not just like rising up smoothly he'll kind of he's not really you know landing in a straight well, and, line and it's weird because he's, he he's such has such a clean shot normally that it, it does look and feel different yeah so there was a stretch do you know when the Jokic sprained wrist is purported to have occurred I do not yeah I didn't I didn't see that in the course of the game I mean I was re-watching it so sometimes you know I'll, I'm skipping all of like the little segments when there's not the ball's not actually in play so sometimes I'll miss that stuff but I mean he certainly finished the game just fine unless it happened at the very very end um you know they didn't I thought that when the Clippers got back into it in the third they're not posting up Jokic when they really struggled to score he only had two points in that period as did Murray uh was a problem that you know because they really I mean it's an instant double team every time he gets the ball in the post or he's cooking Zubats and so the Clippers get within five it really seems like it's going the wrong way about eight minutes left in the fourth and then Jokic gets a post up and then he sets up two threes and then they're right back in position up double digits and it never got closer than seven I don't believe after that yeah did hit that nasty step back yeah yeah he uh Jokic was definitely the best player on the floor in this game anything else that sticks out to you as far as things that these teams might look to change in the next game I, I brought up the potential Shamit shift and I, I think especially if you're going to be doubling Jokic aggressively and I have no opposition to that then going smaller becomes significantly more palatable and Zubat did have you know he can be productive on the offensive glass but I, I I would be interested in some of that counter programming from the Clippers also because they might want to do that against the Lakers I would actually say for the Clippers I would try not to adjust too much other than what I was talking about with like the Jokic post-ups on defense I don't want to overreact to Gary Harris going four or seven from three when he's massively struggled for basically two years now shooting the ball 
but if he does hit that, that's a, that's huge for Denver's offense, and you know he continues to play outstanding defense uh, as well. Uh, Paul George, I think, should continue to really try to drive to the basket. And but these Clippers, I guess the one adjustment I would have is if they're really going to start loading up more on the rim now, that you got to just find more three point shooters, and that's a, maybe another reason to play Landry Shamit as well. And Marcus Morris had a miserable game. You know, he didn't get those four or five on corner threes early on, early on like he did in the first game. So. Uh, he hit a few late, but uh, it was one out of four on twos, and that's fine. You know, I, I mean, he's going to hit shots in this series. It just wasn't a good game for him. I mean, should they go back to Zubats more at the at the end here? Hmm. I mean, there was talk that Zubats was like shutting down Jokic in the first game. I didn't really see that anyway. Um, I mean, I think Zubats can at least maybe you can try single teaming with him on occasion yeah, and see how you, it goes. I think you try it, and and I mean, they're going to have to at some point. But yeah, but I I, I think yeah. you'd be ready to move off of it quickly. But you give him a chance, sure. Well, and you got to give Jokic different looks too, because he's oh, too yeah. smart and too good of a passer. They got to vary up their double teams also. But, uh, you know, if Kawhi Leonard, he's not going to go four out of 17 in the next game. And I like the Clippers' chances, his first bad game of the playoffs. And as I said, I mean, he did have eight assists. As I said, I think he was getting, there was a little more pressure on him because he wasn't just waltzing right to the rim for these dunks with nobody stopping him. But, you know, it's not like his shots were way off. Like he just had an unlucky shooting that, like, there, it literally was five shots that went in and out in the first half for him and that could have completely changed both his night and the complexion of the game uh and a reminder we'll be changing the complexion of dunked on you have until the clock turns midnight pacific time september 8th to get that founding member deal i hope all of you take advantage of that it's the best deal we're ever going to offer it's a better deal for all of dunked on total access the salary sheets the discord we're going to try a video happy hour we'll see how that goes the daily links we call them daily dunks so you get all of that for less than what we're going to charge for a year membership for just the podcast once we go live and you get locked in at that same low yearly price for as long as you want it going forward so definitely the best deal we offered that the response to that has been overwhelming i hope that everyone who really intends to listen to the show a lot takes advantage of that and can be part of the community that we're trying to build and of course we also have that hardship pricing as well if you're a student or maybe things have been affected by COVID 19 or just you're not not in an amazing place financially feel free to send us an email dunked on prime at gmail.com and we'll get back to you within a couple of days and hook you up with uh, that special pricing which is substantially substantially less expensive than even the, the founding membership but we don't want anyone to be in a situation where they're not able to continue to enjoy the show because of of financials and i think that will do it danny we'll uh we'll talk to you tomorrow night on dunked on prime hope that you will join us there link to that is in the show notes till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 